0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we talk about what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host, Akansha Kumar. Joining me in the studio in Delhi is my colleague, Anna Priyadarshini. Hi, Anna. Hi, Akansha. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm also fine. Joining us online are two journalists whose recent reportage focuses on caste as a central theme. Suprakash Majumdar, who identifies himself as one of the few Dalit journalists in India and has written for Vice, Caravan India and Al Jazeera English, his recent story focuses on the farmers' protest and whether it is representative of Dalit farmers who often do not even own enough piece of land to be able to claim their rights. Hi Suprakash.
1: Hi, how are you and thank you for calling
0: me. Uh, Also joining us from Rajasthan is Devendra Pratap Singh Shikhavad, who is also a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in Caravan India, Article 14, Gaon Connection, Quint and News Click. Hi Devendra.
2: Hi Kansha, thanks for having me.
0: And where are you right now?
2: I'm uh, currently in Bikane, Rajasthan.
0: Right. So we'll discuss their stories along with Anna's uh, recent report on Delhi pollution. Uh, So so Suprakash, I'll uh, begin by discussing your story. And I think it's a very uh, different uh, sort of perspective which uh, the story uh, puts before us. Uh, and and the fact that, you know, despite, uh, you know, continuing for over a year, the farmers' protest is not really a very representative movement. And I think just yesterday I came across someone's tweet which said that repeal of farm laws by the government is proof that democracy is alive in this country. But your story suggests that Not all castes, not uh, farmers from all castes have, uh, you know, participated in this uh, protest. There are those who have worked as bonded laborers for decades. Their lives remain the same. And my first question to you is, uh, if you can explain to our listeners, why access to land is a challenge for those belonging to the marginalized community?
1: Right. So... Uh, like the farmers' protests have been going on for uh like more than a year, and like I went to singhu border, and like I read uh like a lot of reports, like there are so much representation the kisan, uh, Masdur ekta, but I uh, it was really hard for me uh to find a Dalit farmer or a Dalit farm labor in those protests, and that was the moment I think kaha hai ye so uh, land why land is important so the entire caste movement uh, started with land rights so uh, like 70 per, more than 70% of dalits and adivasis work in the agricultural sector now if they don't have lands so that means they are not getting paid by selling their crops they are just getting a menial salary by their landlords and in many cases uh they are not even paid they are bonded labor like uh in my story uh so uh when i talk to a lot of farm uh like leaders, uh, and they have like reasons how they are going to affect them but nothing was like directly affecting them it's very similar to how farm laws are affecting us like people who are living in cities who are who has no nothing to do with uh, like for uh, agricultural sector. Uh, so why uh, uh, like the Dba issues that issues always in the background, like either they are not even like uh, taken into uh, consideration or thought of with It's uh, basically two binaries formed government and anti-government. But uh, Dalit, Bahujan, Adiva we form like approximately 60% of Indian population and it's very important here that every movement should have these representations because if we don't talk about the basic problems, we are not going to get a solution. And like caste is integrated into every aspect of our lives.
0: Right. And also I wanted to understand that since it happened to be a Jat-dominated protest, as you have clearly uh, highlighted in your story. Why was it that, uh, you know, farmers belonging to dominant caste, they were coercing Dalit farmers to send at least one family member to the protest site? So what was the rationale behind asking them also to be a part uh, of this uh, protest? Like, was it only to sort of help them increase numbers, uh, because I think just the sheer activity of mobilizing farmers has also been a task. And earlier, the criticism of the movement was that this is a movement only being led uh, by farmers from Congress-ruled states. Uh, And then gradually, you know, uh, they started, uh, you know, voicing their concerns and representing uh, themselves as, you know, factions from Madhya Pradesh, from Haryana, uh, from other uh, states as well. So why was it that these farmers from the Jat community were literally, uh, you know, building pressure on these Dalit laborers who are often employed uh, to just work on their fields uh, for a meager wage to also, you know, uh, go and uh, register their participation?
1: So, uh, like, it's not just the Dalit uh, farmers who were uh, like asked to send at least one member. It was actually uh, like they asked everyone to send one member from their family. Uh, Now, uh, in Punjab, there's a situation where like Dalits and Adivasis, who are basically uh, landless laborers, are against farmers, landlords. So, uh, before the farmer protest started uh, and the lockdown was in place uh, like the upper castes uh, like specifically jats actually threw them out of their farmland because they thought uh, uh, like Tum log hi ho. like uh, so there was a growing sense of uh, discomfort and anger uh, within the dalit community it wasn't specifically for the fines and social boycott those threats are not specifically for the dalit community but because they were the ones uh, like who were actually opposing the uh, the upper caste farmers it's not related to like whether they support the farm bills or not it's just uh, opposition to the upper castes so they are not against the farm bills
0: right right and since uh, this also happens to be a community which, is, which uh, has struggled uh, for generation to, you know, uh, for their own claim of land holding, Probably there wasn't much for them also uh, to be a part of this protest, uh, which is why I think, uh, you know, the representatives of uh, Dalit organizations, they have uh, been quoted in your story as saying that, you know, why should we support Uh, this movement. And this brings me uh, to my next question. It's a very well-researched piece wherein you have quoted different laws. Uh, For instance, there was a Punjab Land Alienation Act of 1900, uh, which restricted and barred Dalits from owning land. But uh, I'm guessing that after independence, as Uh, There were uh, certain progressive changes which were included in the constitution and our jurisprudence also evolved uh, through the 50s and the 60s. In 1961, New Delhi established the Punjab Village Common Lands Regulation Act. Uh, What I want to understand is that, you know, despite, uh, you know, some uh, very progressive laws being in place, Why is it that situation doesn't really change on the ground? Why is it that someone like Fakir, who was sold off as a labourer at the age of five, is trapped in this vicious cycle of being a bonded labourer? What is your view of the law and its ability to ensure that there there is equitable distribution of land and other resources?
1: Okay, so... uh... The main reason so when I was reporting this story, so uh, there were a lot of people who like got out of the bonded lab- uh, labor and I asked them, like, uh, for how many years did you work as a bonded laborer? So the average was 20 to 25 years and the average loan they took was 1500 rupees. So the first question was like, why didn't you go to the police or authorities? And they said, we didn't know law uh, that is illegal. So then they don't know that what what rights do they have? And education is a very big factor here. So there has always been binaries formed uh, in every, uh, conversation like for uh, like it's either government anti government or it uh, like for Western media India is poor or rich, right? But who are the poor of India? They are from a specific community like Dalit, Adivasi, and Bahujan who were never e- economically uplifted. So when uh, we are in a progressive elite circle, we are sitting here and we are the elites. Com- comparatively to the rest of the country. So, when we uh, make a policy, it is like very difficult that those policies will get implemented on the ground because uh, all the power, even though uh, like government and these authorities have some uh, representation of uh, Dalit Adivas and Bahujans, the ground realities are different. Like, all the power are with uh, the upper caste. It's like A caste privilege. There is a law where like uh, 33%, I guess, land is reserved, uh, like farmlands are reserved for the Dalits. But in many cases, uh, like in most of the cases, uh, uh, the upper caste farmers just use a proxy Dalit person to like uh, file the documents. And they are the, like upper caste are the ones who are actually farming on this land and getting the profit.
0: Right. What also uh, struck me is how NGOs like uh, Volunteers for Social Justice, they are actually doing a wonderful uh, job in terms of you know taking this initiative of rescuing bonded laborers, doing their bit as civil society uh, at a time when, in fact, our national security advisor, Ajit Doval, was recently quoted as saying that civil society is the new frontier of war, which can be manipulated to hurt nation's interest. And that brings me to my uh, last question. In your opinion, uh, Suprakash, you interacted uh, with these members of civil society. Uh, what are the hurdles they face in terms of rehabilitation uh, of these bonded laborers? And Following up with the police uh, regarding the status of their case, like what are the difficulties they face on a day-to-day basis?
1: Like these uh, NGOs are very important because like in government, uh, the power holding position, there's none with the DBA population. and these uh, pressure groups uh, actually like bring out the realities of the ground. And for the government, it is obviously a threat. It's not the government; it's all it's the upper castes. Uh, like upper castes are everywhere. Like say in media industry, in government, in corporates, everywhere. Uh, it's a threat. So that's why they always bring up the the conversation about merit and reservation. And uh, like for the rehabilitation and uh, the resettlement, what happens is like for a person like Fakir who doesn't uh, even know his last name uh, because he doesn't have a documented do, any documents so uh, first of all like if they go to the police like the police often are like uh, like friends with the upper farmers because they are the power holders and they refuse to like file the report because, like uh, these organizations have some political representation, uh, they force the police to like file a report. And for the re- uh, rehabilitation, uh, Fakir doesn't know how to write his name, and how is he going to be rehabilitated? Uh, a person who has just seen that life, he's uh, in this real world, which is so called freedom. I asked him, like, what do you think you are going to do? like he doesn't know if someone doesn't know like anything outside that life and you're uh, now in that uh, place where uh, you have never been you are clueless so these are the challenges like again the education and the they don't know about how big india is who are the different people uh, what are the like he like fakir is a person who have never been to a city like he's always been into these rural areas so, obviously, it's going to be hard for him as well. And the government is, the authorities are not really concerned about these things.
0: I mean, it's, uh, I think as a journalist also, it's it's just baffling at times to do, uh, you know, such stories and have this conversation with uh, these case studies who have seen life differently. It's equally uh, surprising and shocking that in our country, there is a law which bans uh, bonded labor. It has been into existence uh, since 1976. Uh, yet people like uh, Fakir uh, find uh, themselves uh, trapped in certain uh, circumstances. They face a sheer exploitation at the hands of their masters, often from the dominant caste. The farmers' protest also has been looked at uh, with suspicion by different you know, sections of media, who initially uh, sort of tried to label it as a Khalistani movement. But I think uh, while that is just their way of demonizing every voice of dissent and protest against uh, the BJP-led government, I do find merit in, uh, you know, criticism by reportage as done by Suprakash that it is still not, uh, representative enough and those at the bottom of the pyramid uh, I think uh, it will it it will take us a long way before we are able to understand and empathize with their issues so what was your experience of uh, Anna if I may bring you in of interacting uh, with farmers
3: I have gone to Singhu I've gone to Tikri and uh, the farmers that I spoke with that I always used to ask ki, how much land they own um, because you know when we talk about the representation, we often, as was rightly pointed by you, it's it's always like we often, you know, leave out the, the lower strata of the pyramid. There's a whole, you know, a, a representation of something which we haven't seen, right? So it's like, you go with certain perception, you go with certain idea, and it's always inherent, we can't control that. Yeah. Yeah, so, but... It's always different, you know, and it's also challenging that when you go with a certain perception and you get challenged by whatever is being portrayed, right? So if I talk about the personal, my personal experience, it was very much overwhelming because I spoke with, uh, initially I got I, I also spoke with a certain farmers who had a affiliation towards in the army uh, background. So, and they were labeled as Khalistanis, they were labeled as terrorists. So. Uh, It was very, you know, overwhelming for me in that way.
0: Uh, Devendra, would you like to add something or ask uh, Suprakash uh, anything?
2: I talked to uh, all classes of farmers during my this story and my other stories. So what I sensed was, yes, uh, the Dalit thing thing is uh, totally true. And when you talk about this media thing, so there was an impact on their minds and what, as uh, Anna said that uh, the ex-army veterans were totally pissed off with the government and the media for calling them Khalistani. Hmm. And this is basically not only with the army veterans who are associated with farming, but even others too. Because farming is uh, a sense of affection for people across the state. And when you talk about the media, the impact of the media, so the impact of the media was uh, like a threshold, and it crossed the threshold during some time in uh, April or May. After that, people realized that these are the real farmers. As uh, one of uh, official told me that now they are the real farmers. These log farmer When they time struggle they are the so after a time people realized uh, they are true because uh, so the sense was against them uh, sometime in January when I talked to a few of the farmers and the farmer leaders here who were associated with the BJP and then they had uh, labeled them as uh, terrorists in Khalistani but uh, this uh, tag was soon removed uh, sometime in June and April. And then it was uh, totally, the wave was in favor of them and the media wasn't effective enough. And when the farm laws were repealed, the people weren't happy much. They were like, okay, it's fine because it's their win, it's not the government's win. And they were happy to listen that uh, this happened. So, yeah.
0: Right. So, I would now uh, like to, uh, you know, bring in uh, Devendra, whose recent uh, story on article14.com Uh, titled, In Rajasthan, the viral video is used as a tool of violence against Dalits, looks at the trend of videographing some of the most brutal and horrific crimes against Dalits. Um, And Devind, my first uh, question to you is that, you know, with respect to two case studies who have been mentioned in your story, Amra Ram from Nagor beaten up by upper caste men while he had gone to get his motorcycle serviced. And another upper caste man in Seeker who has been quoted anonymously uh, in your story and is facing charges in a case of assault of a Dalit for purchasing a royal Enfield. Why is it that members of the upper caste are not able to digest the fact that a person from marginalized community can also climb up the ladder? Do you think it's a mindset problem or is it because they have viewed, uh, you know, they have internalized this hierarchy for so long that uh, any attempt by a person from marginalized community to be able to change his, uh, you know, ecosystem or uplift himself, is something that doesn't go down well with them. What is the like, what explains uh, this, uh, you know, upper caste men resorting to violence, just because someone has purchased a motorcycle, or he's not able to pay EMI for his uh, two wheeler?
2: Akansha, I would like to start with firstly, that uh, they weren't only upper caste men. Okay, so uh, these are uh, people uh, from Dalits and the scheduled caste community are being oppressed by people from dominating caste, which also includes the Gujars, uh, the Jats, uh, basically the OBCs. So upper caste is also there, but also, so that's what I've written in my story even, that contrary to the popular belief in Rajasthan, oppression is being practiced by people even from the OBCs also. So it's by the dominating caste. So now the, both the points are there. What you have mentioned, the feudal mentality is also there. And basically, now these people are feeling that it's about their existential crisis. Hmm. It's about existential crisis that if these people will rise up, they will soon wipe out our prisons. As uh, I've mentioned, the guy, this uh, Vijaypal, the name has been changed, and who is accused in the Pali case, in the Pali's uh, Sarana village, with this guy, Ashok Meghwal's... Uh, uh, pregnant sister and ma- ma- mother was beaten and he's the one of the uh, prime accused in the case so he even confessed me and he was too emotional while he was explaining me that these uh will soon wipe out our presence if we uh, don't wake up now it's the call up for a community to just wake up and wipe out them what is that uh, you know uh, fear that
0: they'll be wiped out like why are they so scared of, you know, these uh, Dalits? Like, what is this existential crisis? Is it uh, linked to, you know, unemployment, uh, scarcity of resources? Uh,
2: they don't think it to the level of unemployment. And they just basically think that these Dalits were used to, uh, uh, never used to sit uh, together as they used to sit in uh, downwards, a separate bedding was uh, shedded for them. They used to even eat in different plates. They don't used to come in front of us. That's what a pattern used to follow in Rajasthan. And basically, uh, by the Rajputs, who are the dominating caste here, so this was a pattern. And now they are afraid that they might soon, because now these uh, Dalits want to sit together, they want to uh, sit in the same car in which they are sitting. They want to uh, sit, uh, eat in the same plates in which they are eating. That's what the case of this guy, uh, Suresh Jogesh. Hmm. He is now an alumni of IIT, Roorkee. So he was totally against it. He is saying that now I have studied a lot. I have uh, two or three degrees. Now why shall I uh, sit down? And this is something which is not going Uh, well, down with the uh, people from upper caste. And then I've also mentioned that it's different for all the caste. This is not the same with every caste. Hmm. For Rajput, this is different. Rajputs have a feudal mentality. They have a set of do's and don'ts for Dalits. They can do this, they uh, they can't do that. And it will uh, totally provoke them. So then for Brahmins, it is caste practices broken in uh, schools and temples. And then for Jats is different. It is about the growing uh, land ownership. And then we, when you talk about the Gujars, and I was even shocked to know that, I just got to know this during my report only, that they want that Dalits should also follow uh, Hinduism. They aren't following Hinduism. Why do they believe in Ambedkar and stuff? And so that's my whole point is that it is different for Rajputs, it's different from Brahmins, is different for Jats, and different for Gujars. And in whole... The common point was of the reservation, which is a bit there, but not unemployment and everything is there. It's just basically about the feudal mentality and it's too internal that it is going on for decades and decades. Even their, their parents are feeding them. So one of the accused whom I had talked to, I, I didn't mention in the story, he told me several instances that how his parents and his grandfather used to teach uh, him and, her sister, uh, and his sister also that how uh, they have to keep uh, these dalits at a distance from always even in schools even in college and wherever they go because they are uh, are the ones who deserve power they are the ones who deserve government jobs they are the one who deserve to be in politics and everywhere so yes this is there and one more thing i would like to mention is the caste operation is basically done in the pockets where a particular caste also has a political relevance right yes so this is basically in respect to the point that uh, there is another caste which is not much in number, so it's a subcaste, caste uh, They are the sub of Brahmins. They basically uh, do have a good hold in the areas of West Rajasthan, West Rajasthan and then in the Central Rajasthan also. There they are in hold and they are practicing caste operation uh, popularly, just because their political relevance come from those pockets only. This was confessed to me by few of the l- leaders of Rajputoid caste, and one of the activists also told me that we'll not do it in uh, Central Rajasthan or in UP or anywhere. We'll do it in our area because our leaders will come anytime on a single call to. Uh, make us relief from police and everything.
0: Right. So basically, it is this sense of assertion which is not, uh, you know, going down well with uh, members of the dominant caste. And like, uh, I, I'm coming back to the case of Amra Ram, uh, you know, and in his case, a screwdriver dipped in petrol was inserted into his rectum. And a clip of him and his friends begging for mercy was shared on WhatsApp. It is shocking that technology was supposed to remove, you know, barriers, be it caste or class. Why is it that in India, WhatsApp has emerged as a tool to spread hate and misinformation? And my, uh, you know, uh, second question related to this is, is the local police, uh, does the local police Uh, view such incidents as instances of cyber crime as well?
2: So, the most important point is that it's the highest uh, and a massive reach of WhatsApp, which is over uh, 390 million in India. It makes accessible everywhere and it basically fulfills the motto of the accused because they don't uh, circulate the video unintentionally. They do it intentionally. They want to... Convey the message, and it serves as a, a best uh, tool because WhatsApp is now downloaded in mobile phones of everyone. In rural areas where the most of the cases happens, relate more to WhatsApp rather than Facebook. They feel WhatsApp is much easier. Uh, so few, many, even now, most of the accused whom we talked to for the story they didn't know that what to write on the story. They don't even they can't even type Hindi on WhatsApp. But still they. Uh, make it a purpose to uh, send a video. And the other thing which you were talking about is uh, the cyber crime. So yes, the thing with police is, the police itself is even uh, not equipped with these cyber crime laws and stuff, and even registering a case, cyber crime is a far away thing from them anyways, but uh, even registering a case in the Prevention of Atrocities Act 1989, Is even a uh, tough task for them. They don't want to register such cases. So the police people don't want to take action. If they uh, want to take it willingly, they might have done. Firstly, in the Prevention of Atrocities Act. Now when you talk about the uh, Cybercrime Act. So the Cybercrime Act is the same with uh, uh, this uh, activist and the police also. Because the activists themselves also call them From old generation, they say that we aren't much tech savvy, we don't know about IT laws and what else is there. Until the day, registering cases is a big thing. That's why we always focus on firstly registering a case. And then we, uh, uh, from now onwards, after reading your story, we will think about even registering it in the IT Act because never such a case has come to light.
0: So I think uh, uh, the point you're trying to make is that uh, there is lack of awareness
2: Yes, lack of awareness is there. Lack of awareness is there, and it's there in the police also. It's there in the activist also, and victims also.
0: Uh, and that brings me to my final uh, question, uh, Devendra. You have clearly mentioned about uh, the different, uh, you know, outlook uh, and their approach as they go about uh, inflicting, uh, you know, such atrocity on uh, people from marginalized community. But is there a common strand among the perpetrators who belong to Jad, Gujar and Rajput caste in terms of affiliation to outfits like the RSS and Hindu Yuva Vahini? And did you at any point sense that, you know, this incitement to commit uh, such violent act is also coming from these outfits and their ideology uh, and some of the sort of so-called Hindutva principles that they spouse?
2: Yes, sir, before coming to your question, I would like to uh, elaborate a bit on this uh, evidence part. So only uh, 10% good part of the video is that it works as a evidence. That's what the victims themselves and the lawyers told me. But now it's about the apathy of the police and the complicity of them in dealing the crimes that they don't use it as a evidence in even any of the cases. So the most important case was of April in 2019 uh, during the Lok Sabha elections when a uh, married woman was raped in Thana Gazi, uh, Thana Gazi of Alwar along, in front of her husband by uh, four or five men from the OBC. And even when they went to the police with the video as the evidence and even a number of leads that were the uh, accused are, police didn't take action for the next seven days. They took three days to register the case mm. because as the SI said that the police is busy in the election duty, they have lack of staff and many things were there. So they didn't take the action. And that's why the final arrest was made on... Uh, a day after the elections, on uh, after Alvar went to polls on 6th April, the first arrest was made on 7th. So even after providing videos as evidence, the police has failed to act on it. Secondly, the other cases of Ashok Megwal. Ashok Megwal is among the very few people who tried to use video as a tool of protection. He uploaded the video on Twitter. He is among the handful of the users who uploaded the video on Twitter, he tried to ask for help from everyone possible. And the uh, video was initially famous. Few of the media houses covered and few of the leaders contacted him. But soon the charm of the video and his uh, case uh, went out. Now, no one asked him what happened and nothing happened because his case was soon closed within a month or two because the officers were from the upper caste and they they were quite friendly with the accused. So even in his case, also the video didn't work much. So that's what I wanted to say. Now, when you're talking about the affiliations, so no, basically there are no affiliations, but as one of a very uh, prominent Gujar activist from East Rajasthan told me that uh, in Gujars, the people who are spreading these uh, thoughts of uh, uh, Hinduism and stuff, they are affiliated to uh, Hindu Vahini and RSS. They are the people, uh, they are the Gujars who are affiliated with RSS and Hindu vaini While uh, this was something which I figured out in rajputs that few of them were affiliated with Karni Sena. As when well, this guy Vijaypal in uh, Ashok Meghwal's case was there, he was affiliated with Karni Sena. And yes, they feel excited when they are associated with such an organization because in their meetings also, one of the official uh, from Karni Sena also confessed me of the record they do discuss about such things. They do discuss about the caste operation going on and uh, what uh, they should do and what they wa- uh, shouldn't. So it's there and uh, the affiliations help them because they know that they have uh, someone to back them because in the leaders of these organizations are on good positions and they are too uh, friendly with the, uh, the political leaders of the BJP and Congress belonging to the same caste and community. So it's helped them. Another point, uh, so lastly, I would like to mention is which was also shocking to see that most of these videos are circulated with the names of either Hindu gods and in the groups associated with the Hindu gods. Hmm. Firstly, uh, so in the Alwar case, the video was circulated in the group associated with Dev Narayan. Dev Narayan is a folk deity of Gujars. And then in a few of the cases uh, happened in the Badmir region of Rajasthan. There the videos were circulated with the names Jai Rajputana, Jai Bhavani, Jai Jagdamba. So such names were used. So even the involvement of God is also uh, ho- ho- horrible to look into it.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And uh, Suprakash, so do you have any uh, question for Devendra or would you like to share any insight uh, on this?
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, like I totally get what Devendra is saying. Uh, so... Uh, the thing is uh, like atrocities against dalits and adivasis uh, they only get to the limelight uh, when something very gruesome has happened like for example hatras and the uh, sexual violence against women uh, and spe- specifically dalit women uh, should be much more reported and uh, like it was great that Devon did this story. It was a really important story. And most of the media won't consider it it as a good, like a story which could sell for them. So uh, we need to like, uh, like as journalists, we need to add caste as a very important intersection in our reporting.
0: Right. And uh, that uh, brings me to our last uh, story, uh, which we'll discuss with Anna. Uh, She has recently filed this report, which you can read on newslaundry.com. The story is titled, Analyzing Delhi's AQI Last Week, Why ARP Centre Need Long-Term Solutions, Not Stop-Cap Measures. Uh, So, Anna, uh, I believe that you uh, firstly, uh, you know, kept tracking the AQI for over a week. Uh, what were your findings? And as uh, the Supreme Court continues to hear the case, uh, in which, you know, year after year, the centre and the Delhi government, they make a lot of promises and tell them of their action plan, but nothing really changes uh, on the ground. Uh, so, you know, uh, help us also understand in terms of policy measures, what is it that, uh you know, they they are not able to, why is it that they're not able to deliver, be it the centre or the Delhi government, uh, despite receiving flak and being at the receiving end of the court? Uh, why is it that we still, uh, you know, see smog uh, every year after Diwali?
3: Yeah, so, um, I mean, this report, it was an audit that I did for the, and I tracked the uh, AQI uh, in Delhi for a week. And, My observation, obviously, it was, uh, you know, Diwali uh, contributed to a lot of pollution in the national capital. But it, like, my report also mentions that Diwali is long gone. And this farm fires, you know, they have dissipated. But still, um, um, the AQI in several parts of the national capital, it remained during this week in particular. uh, I mean, the last week. um, It uh, kept on oscillating between severe, very poor to severe.
0: So, were you like keeping a track of AQI reading at yes. different spots no not uh, across Delhi spots. or was it just like on a daily basis?
3: No, on a daily basis because there are several spots which are, you know, there are very some hot spots like Palem and all which have a very high uh, AQI. But there are certain, and also there's this uh, smog tower, it was built in uh, around CP Peak odd place. But during Diwali, we saw it the aqi was at this, at cp was the highest so uh, what did that smog tar do and um, so i consulted anumita roy choudhury and, and so
0: uh, what was hmm. uh, what were your uh, findings of this uh, yeah. you know this tracking yes, that so, you did like they, what was the range uh, of aqi readings
3: okay so uh, like on sunday which was 28th of november the aqi was 405 so just uh, to brief you so an aqi between 0 and 50 is considered good 51 to 100 is satisfactory 100 to 200 is moderate 200 to 300 is poor 300 to 400 is very poor and 400 to 500 is severe so sunday it was 405 so it's it's in the severe category so eventually it it was around it ranged around 380 328 but then on Thursday, it was 429. So it again became very severe. So, um, you know, it all comes amid this blame game that we see, you know, this uh, between um, Delhi and its neighboring states such as uh, Punjab, Haryana, Uttar Pradesh, that they are all shifting the blame. If in, in fact, Delhi is just, you know, like municipal corporation, they're just passing the buck that, yeah, you have to control the, pollution level so so if if we talk in terms of policies and plans um in 2018 um if i'm not wrong yeah in 2017 sorry there was this uh, this to tackle this this issue the graded response action plan was notified for delhi and, and ncr so um this this plan is basically it it kicks in whenever the particulate matter concentration it crosses a certain Threshold, and this is only an emergency measure. So um, it's basically like it imposes, you know, it uh, under this plan there are certain things that that uh, such as uh, it imposes temporary curbs, such as pollution control. Then there is mechanized sweeping of roads. Then there is stoppage of construction activities, as we saw.
0: Government can also uh, uh, put in place the odd-even plan. Exactly. Something that they tried earlier. Yes, yes. So,
3: but these are emergency measures. And in my report, I have pointed out this uh, uh, Anumita Roy Chaudhary. She's um, she's the Executive Director of Research and Advocacy at Delhi's Centre for Science and Environment. So, she's noted that uh, to some extent, Delhi has, uh, you know, uh, tri- uh, bent this pollution curve. But this... There are certain significant gaps as well, mm-hmm. and uh, the, uh, the graded response action plan. Uh, it is an emergency measure, w- and it kicks in when it crosses a certain threshold. So, what we need as a national capital is the implementation of the comprehensive action plan. This was uh, notified in 2018. So, comprehensive national uh, action plan is uh, it's inclusive of traffic management. You know, use of cleaner fuels and increased electrification of vehicles. So, this is where the progress has been slow. So, when if we talk about the ARP government and uh, there are, you know, there are uh, certain popularity slog- slogans like um, Gadi off, um, red light on and Gadi off mm-hmm. was the ca- campaign. But it was also reprimanded by the Supreme, by the Apex court saying that these are just popularity slogans and, you know, all these... Uh, young men and uh, women, they're just standing in the middle of the road. And uh, so what is their, uh, I mean, where their safety is being uh Compromise. And these are all cosmetic
0: measures. Cosmetic I mean, we measures. have seen these yeah. volunteers standing at different traffic exactly. signals. Yeah. I don't think anyone pays any heed to them because, Definitely. Uh, I mean, by habit, mm. I think mm. uh, every driver just is waiting for the light to turn green and they just want to make the most yeah. of that time and reach yeah. their uh, destination. So these are clearly just cosmetic measures. Cosmetic
3: measures, and there are like several ads as well, which I also took a note of. I mean, um, our government is, despite being reprimanded by the government saying that, you know, you should keep a check on these, uh, what are these things doing? What are these uh, cosmetic measures doing? But despite that, uh, the uh, the government is still continuing uh, to publish ads on this, uh, this campaign. Uh, where does this lie? I mean, what is the regularity in it? So despite being reprimanded, you are still continuing to do the same. So where is it going?
0: And... Uh what do experts like Anumita Roy choudhury have to uh, say about the you know such initiatives? Hmm. Uh, like, if they are saying that it's still better uh, than last year, then are do are they sort of satisfied with the steps that have been taken by the state government?
3: I mean, satisfied would be a very uh, euphemistic you know, word. Yeah, okay, yeah. so it's it's very early to say. I mean, because Delhi in particular, has to be looked along with the NCR regions, right? So like uh, Roy, um, Roy Chaudhary also pointed out that Delhi is the first city, I mean, uh, which has, you know, closed all the coal power plants. But if you see in the 300 kilometer radius, there are 11 coal power plants which are still functioning. Mm. So you have to see it in totalities, not just, you know, like Delhi in just a single frame.
0: Right. And uh, on that note, I would also urge our listeners to check out a uh, ground report by my colleague adiksha Munjal, who visited uh, some villages uh, in the vicinity of Delhi, uh, where uh, the AAP government had launched its pilot project, uh, that of, uh, you know, offering a certain kind of Solution which helps in easy uh, decomposition uh, of stubble. Uh, Sorry, sorry, I just forgot. Uh, And uh, what she found uh, on the ground was that uh, it's not uh, very effective. Uh, Some of the farmers uh, who had kind of enlisted themselves to be a part of the project didn't get it on time. And therefore, they had to resort to traditional way of destroying stubble uh, by burning it. On that note, uh, listeners, if you are hearing this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or any other platform, please go to www.newslaundry.com and check out some of our other stuff, interviews and ground reports. On that note, we'll uh, just uh, ask everyone to share their recommendations. So, uh, Suprakash, would you like to go first? What is your recommendation uh, for our listeners, any book or video uh, that you enjoyed uh, lately?
1: Uh, well, no, but not any books. But I would suggest uh, a few South Indian movies, which I can't pronounce. Uh, that's the... Uh, it's something. I'm sorry for the pronunciation. It's Periyarum Perumal. Yes, yes, yes. The yes. Tamil movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's... really great movie.
0: Okay. Uh and Devendra, uh, what would be your recommendation?
2: Yeah. So I have uh, two things to recommend. First one is a book, "The Silent Coop by Josie Joseph. I would like to recommend everyone to read it. The wake of the current incidents in Nagaland, it highlights the how the Indian security establishment is running as a free horse in the field without accountability. And it also uh, highlights the loopholes in the Indian security establishment system. And the other one is a political biography of former Prime Minister of Vishwanath Pratap Singh. And uh, it is titled The Disruptor and uh, who Vishwanath Pratap Singh shook India. And it's written by Devoshish Mukherjee. And uh, the book is quite interesting and it's about uh, the former Prime Minister who is basically... Uh, remembered for uh, implementing the Mandal Commission's report apart from other things. So yeah, it's a good interesting read and I would like to uh, suggest everyone to just have a a read and basically The Silent coup is one of the most important books uh, of the decade that one should read to understand the loopholes in the security establishment because this uh, Nagaland incident isn't a story of a day or two or three or four years. It's a long back. So yes.
0: Right, um, and
3: Anna, um, I would uh, like to suggest this uh, report by Shishti Jaswal. It's the it's called the Human Cost of India's Year Long Farmers Protest, and I think it's very important for us to you know go back and look at the farmers that we have lost during this, this during this protest during this year long battle. Because you know, on one hand, we have our government uh, agriculture minister uh, Narendra Singh Tomar saying that. You know, they have the the government doesn't have any record on on the farmer's death. So yeah, this would be an interesting read, which actually profiles many of the farmers uh, who whom we have lost.
0: And on my part, uh, I would definitely recommend uh, stories done by uh, Suprakash and Devendra. I think everyone uh, should read them to understand more about. Uh, caste and how it perpetuates a culture of uh, violence, uh, you know, in in some of the most backward areas uh, due to lack of education, due to lack of proper policing, uh, how uh, people are at the receiving end of dominant caste uh, just because, uh, you know, uh, they uh, come from marginalized community. And my third recommendation would be this three-part documentary on Hotstar. It's uh, called Obama in Pursuit of a More Perfect Union. It's a three-part series by uh, documentary filmmaker Peter Kunhardt. And I think uh, it helps one understand more about Obama as a person, his uh, vision for the country and how as a lawyer he went on to become Uh, this, uh, you know, uh, very popular politician who captured the imagination uh, of an entire country. And uh, I thank uh, Suprakash, uh, Tevendra and Anna for joining us uh, on this uh, episode of Reporters Without Orders. Thank you, guys.
3: And listeners, if you like the podcast, please share it with your family, friends and neighbours and subscribe to newslaundry.com.
0: And on that note...